Sunday school this morning. Good to have you with us. Uh, if, it's, if it's possible, I know it's an inconvenience, but if it's possible to gather into the centre for Sunday school, you can go back to your corners for the main service and out to the winds, just uh, so that uh, I don't have to throw my voice too far. If you need to stay where you are, that's okay. Um, but uh, if, uh, if it's possible, that'd be good. Alrighty. Gave me a rough map last month, like yesterday, eh? No, it was just a, it was just a tough ground colour. A bit sloping. Reggie does the maps for letterboxing. He also chooses who gets what map. <laughs> if you come in letterboxing, be nice to Reg. <laughs> Alrighty. So we're going to step back into our study of Revelation and the things things hereafter. And uh, so what we've done last term is we've tried to lay some foundation work, sort of step by step through the Old Testament, looking at some key foundational uh, truths of prophecy and uh, of things to come, that the Lord laid the groundwork uh, for what He then revealed in Revelation. And so we worked through a number of things. We're going to do a brief, real brief, just a summary of that. And... Uh, then we ran through Revelation and we looked at uh, Revelation as a whole. I think we spent uh, maybe three Sunday schools on that, tried to skip through the whole book. And what I'd like to do this term, and I'm already having difficulty fitting it all in, even though we've got nine weeks in front of us, uh, is to go step by step through some, uh, some, I guess, some major doctrinal principles or truths spelled out, some events that are spoken of. Uh, in, uh, across the scriptures in prophecy. So, whilst we will be somewhat following Revelation uh, as we go through, we'll be stepping outside of Revelation to uh, look, at, uh, look at the whole council of the scriptures on these points. So, let's do a little bit of review. Uh, actually, let's have a word of prayer first. You probably need, you probably need some... Need some some praying to help your brains get into, into gear, the Holy Spirit, and call to remembrance the things we looked at. And uh, I know I need the Lord's help to teach. So, uh, and I have my notes in front of me from, from all the lessons, so uh, I can cheat as far as the review goes. Let's, uh, let's pray, and uh, then we'll uh, sp- uh, spend some time in this. Heavenly Father, I do thank you for this morning. I thank you for the gift of your word. Uh, I thank you, Heavenly Father, that... Uh, you have laid down in Scripture the things that you would have us know about that which must shortly come to pass. And my Lord, I pray that as we look into these things, you would help us to rightly divide the Word of God. Help us, Lord, to, uh, uh, to study, to show ourselves approved. And my Lord, as we uh, engage this morning, I ask that your Holy Spirit would speak to us, call to remembrance those things that we uh, have in our, in our minds and Lord, help us as we navigate this this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Alright. Let's step back to uh, the, the start of last term. And it doesn't matter if we don't get it in order of the, the things we looked at. But if I, if I use the term, term of phrase, some, some key foundational principles when it comes to Bible prophecy and interpretation, I remember we looked at some of those things. Does anyone remember 
uh, what one or two of them were that we've looked at. Sorry? Yeah, we looked at, we looked at uh, some visions, two visions particularly. Uh, one was Daniel's and one was Nebuchadnezzar's. Does that jog any memories? Nebuchadnezzar's vision. What did Nebuchadnezzar have a vision of that we looked at? Sorry? Yeah, of the, of the, the, the statue. Well, he, he made a golden statue, right? But notice, he made the golden statue that everyone had to bow down to after he had the vision of the statue with the golden head that was him and everything else was the empires that would come after. And it's interesting, when he made that statue, he said, no, I'm going to make the whole thing gold because I'm not going anywhere. It's probably what, part of what he was thinking. But there was the, there was the head of gold and uh, there was the torso and there was the, uh, the chest and the, the torso and the legs and it flowed on down through different metals right down to what were the, what were the feet and toes made up of? Iron mixed with clay. Iron mixed with clay. And we looked through the dividing of the empires, and that last empire of iron mixed with clay is spoken of as ongoing through the return of Christ, which means that's where we are now. Uh, we are in that empire of iron mixed with clay and divided up, and uh, uh, perhaps it's a picture of, of uh, democracy across the world and democratic governments and the mixture of of man and, and power and uh, all those things sewn in there. What was the last portion of that dream? It wasn't part of the statue, it was something that happened to it. The toes fallen off? Well, the toes, they, they got smashed by something. A rock. A rock. A rock that was not carved out by hands, uh, which is a picture of the coming of Christ. Alright, Daniel's dream. What did Daniel dream of? There's four of Oh, that was Joseph. That's alright. Daniel had a dream of four beasts, right? And these four beasts line up with the uh, four empires. Uh, sorry, five, yeah. And so, as, as you look at uh, the parallel of Daniel's dreams and, and, and Nebuchadnezzar's dream, what you see is the Lord just laid out in prophecy in the Old Testament about the empires that were to come after Nebuchadnezzar. And so the Lord's going, I know the empires that are in front of us. And it gives us a lot of things, it gives us a lot of detail, but it also shows us the, the, the clear understanding that God had of the coming empires. And we can look and compare them back in history and see the Babylonian Empire, which we know was uh, referenced in Scripture as the head of gold. And that parallels with the lion with the eagle's wings, we saw the Persian Empire that, that followed that. That was the, the silver and the, and the vision of the bear. We saw the Greek Empire and uh, that was the brass uh, that uh, was in the statue and, and the leopard with wings and the vision of beasts. And then finally the Iron Empire, which was the Roman Empire, and it being divided up. And even today, as you study history, they'll tell you that we stand... Uh, in our form of government, we stand on the shoulders of the Roman form of government and that, that, ongoing, that ongoing method there. So that's how we see those visions there. And it's interesting, important to note those empires and how they go on and when Christ will come. We looked at uh, two aspects of Christ's ministry, if you recall that. There is, of course, 
the aspect of Christ's ministry where he came as saviour and where he came as king. But there's a key verse that he read out of scripture and the key verse that he read in scripture was uh, Isaiah, he read Isaiah, where's my reference? Make sure I give you the right reference here. Uh, anyone remember what it was? Sorry? Oh, not quite. Isaiah 61. Isaiah 61. But what stood out, what was important about how the Lord read that verse? When he read it in the temple, what was the important thing to note? Yeah, he got to that comma and he stopped at a comma. He read through to where he came as saviour and he just stopped. And coming as king and ruler was yet to be fulfilled. And he stated off where he stopped, he said, this day are these things fulfilled. And so in coming as saviour was fulfilled, but yet there was the coming. So we see the two aspects of Christ's ministry there. That's important to note. We looked at uh, the dividing up of the times throughout history. There is this different, we use the term dispensations or stewardships is the, is the word the Bible uses in Galatians. Different, different dispensations that... Uh, that the Lord has worked in. And what dispensation are we in? In Galatians, what does it say this dispensation is? The dispensation of grace. grace. We might call it the church age. We might, uh, there's another, a number of other terms that, that we have given to it, but there we see it as the dispensation of grace. And so we noted that there were different ways in which the Lord worked and with different, not just different times and ways that He worked. But uh, there is also different people groups, predominantly three main people groups that the Bible, the Bible deals with. Who are they? Jews, Gentiles, and the last one, the, the Church of God. Jew, Gentile, Church of God. You see, of course, you see the Philistines and you see the Egyptians and you see the Romans. You see the Lord talks about all the other divisions. He divided the nations back at the Tower of Babel and the languages. But throughout the scripture, you see Jew, Gentile, Church of God as your three main groups dealt with. Lastly, we looked at the olive branch. The two olive branches. The one that was cut off and the other that was grafted in. What, it, what was the olive branch that was cut off in that uh, parable, that analogy given there? Who was the olive branch cut off? Israel. And bear, pay attention as you read over that, they were laid aside. They weren't, they weren't cast away, they were laid aside. And the wild olive branch was grafted in. And if the wild olive branch can be grafted in, then how much more is the Lord able to graft in that natural olive branch? Speaking of his laying down of the church again, putting aside of the church or cutting off of the church and picking up of Israel again. So these are all the aspects that we're looking at as we come to Revelation, as you come to the New Testament, as you come to Jesus uh, speaking in Matthew 24, teaching his disciples that you've got to come with all of that foundation done. Okay, You've got to come with all of that as well. Bring that into the discussion. Did I miss, any, miss anything? I was flipping back and forth through my notes. I don't think we missed anything. Alright. Key verse of Revelation. Anyone tell me the key verse of Revelation? You really should commit this one to memory and um, at least be able to open your, your Bible and go, oh, it's here at the front somewhere and find it. Often my brain works better that way. And we say the importance of bearing memory verses and they are important. 
But at least if you're able to you to find it some way, open the scriptures and know the narrative, know the, the, the story and go, well, that happened after, that happened before. So that one way or another you can find it. Does someone have the key verse? Even what it says, Beck? That's that's the one we're after. That's the one we're after. Anyone found it there yet? I got it written down here, so I'm trying not to um, trying not to give it to you. I want you to find it uh, that you might um, be able to just put into practice some of these things. Is it? One nineteen. There it is. Revelation one nineteen. John was told to write the things that which thou hast seen, the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. Go with us to Revelation four, verse one. John was to write the things which thou hast seen the things which are and the things which shall be hereafter. In Revelation 4.1, after this I looked and beheld a door was opened in heaven and the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me, which said, come up hither, I will show thee things which must be hereafter. And so we have then, the Bible just divides itself. Here's the things which are, Revelation 1 through 4, and we see the church. And here's the things which shall be hereafter. After what? After the church. After that. Right? So we see that division of how of how the Bible, of how Revelation is uh, broken up there. Alright, let's uh, let's get on topic. I'm supposed to cover this in one lesson. It's not gonna happen. I'm gonna throw my whole plan out, and we're probably gonna come back to this uh, if not next week, in the weeks ahead. We'll see how we go. I might commit myself to that. Let's look at, with all that groundwork done, well, let me talk to you. What would be, in your understanding, the first occurrence, or I might say, the next occurrence on God's calendar? Prophetically speaking, what might be the next major event that... God will fulfill as far as prophecy is concerned. Coming to get his people. The coming to gather up. What, 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 is that, what, what terms of phrase does that you, do, is used to describe that? The rapture? Any other terms of phrase? Blessed hope. Blessed hope, snatching away. Okay. Anyone else got another one? I don't know. But, you know, someone does. Being caught up in the air. Being caught up. That's it. We see that in First Thessalonians. Being caught up in the air. Have a look at um, Have a look at John chapter 14. In John chapter 14, verse 1. Jesus is here. He's, he's on his earthly ministry. He's... He's talking with his disciples and and those uh, that uh, have have followed him. He says this to them in 14 verse 1. Let not your heart be troubled. So I know this passage. We've heard this many times. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. 
If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And whether I go, ye know, and the way, ye know. Here's our Saviour. He's speaking with His disciples. He's preparing them for His departure, for His death. He's preparing them for the events that are about to unfold at Gethsemane. And he says, let not your heart be troubled. You're gonna, there's going to be some troubling events in front of you, but don't let your heart be troubled. We're going to spend some time, coincidentally, maybe the Lord's providence is better off being saying, uh, rather than coincidence, on this in the main service, quite separate to these studies, but let your heart be troubled. Ye be, sorry, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And he states this, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. My Father's house, where there are many mansions. A place where he goes to, somewhere where the Lord goes to prepare a place for us. What is he talking about? Is, sorry? Heaven. Heaven, right? He's not talking of Israel. He's not talking of Jerusalem. He's not even talking of earthly things. He's talking of his Father's house, of an eternal home. And he says, I go to prepare a place for you. When he says, I go, what's, what's he talking about in going to prepare a place? What's the going referring to? He says, I go. What might that be? His ascension. His ascension. We could speak of his death. That was when he departed from them. And that was when he began the work of preparing a place and a means to enter into that place. But it was really his ascension where he spoke of, I go to prepare a place for you. That time coming where he will, he will ascend up into heaven. He said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, he states this, I will come again. And we have here Jesus saying to his disciples, I'm going to depart. I'm going to depart. I'm coming back. Now, there's some things... There's some things that, humanly speaking, we might be able to wrap our minds around and feel nice and good about when it comes to sharing the gospel and speaking to others and, and talking to them about God's love for them, about a creator, about how they're a created being and they've been created in God's image and created to have fellowship with God. But we get to some truths in Scripture that there is... And no way to get a rational, your rational mind around except by faith. And as you come to the truth of the gospel, a part of the gospel that is necessary to be preached is, is not just the death, burial and resurrection of Christ, but what that means. What that, what that provides for. That death, burial and resurrection that happened in history is to provide a way for what is laid out in front of us. And what is in front of us is His coming again. And he said, I go to prepare a place for you. If I go, I will come again. And so he talks there about his coming again. This is very much an attachment to these end times prophecies of the coming again of Christ. And he said, if I come again, and I lost my spot, where are we up to? Receive you unto myself. He said, I'm not just coming again, I'm coming to receive you. That you're going to come to me. Just with that in mind, 
I thought I would need this later on, but it's perhaps beneficial to look at this now. Go back to Ecclesiastes. I want you to understand your death. I, I, I often go here, this is a go-to verse I use when I preach a funeral. Uh, and regardless of saved or lost, Ecclesiastes chapter 12. It's often easy to find Proverbs, but I'm flicking past it left right and center. Here we go. Ecclesiastes 12, verse 7. Now, once you get there, read it out for me if you would. Ecclesiastes 12, verse 7. Oh, here we go. Then shall the dust... Well, then, really, it says then. Where are we up to in the story here? We'll go back to a few verses in verse, verse 5. And when they shall be afraid of that which is high, and fear shall be in the way, and the almond tree shall flourish, and the grasshopper shall be a burden, and desire shall fail, desire shall fail, because man goeth to his long home, and the mourners go about the streets. It's talking about death. That's what this passage is about. As a closing out Ecclesiastes, the preacher is dealing with death. Man goeth, because man goeth to his long home, and the mourners go about the street, or ever the silver cord be loosed, or the golden bowl be broken, or the pitcher be broken at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern, then shall the dust return to the earth as it was. God created man out of the dust of the earth, formed man out of the dust. He says here, when we go to our long home, when the silver cord is loosed. When life comes to an end, dust, the dust, then shall the dust return to the earth as it was. That's your body. Your body will return to the earth as it was. Let me just let me just touch on this here, sort of as a side note. As a Christian, as a Christian, the Christian tradition, you won't find the command, you will just find the example right throughout Scripture is for burial. And burial is to point to the planting of the body for the hope of resurrection. Now, there's many places in the world and it's in Crete where, where there is no option except cremation. And just financially, it's becoming increasingly burdensome for families to be able to afford a burial. But can I, can I give you this thought? Your body is to return to the dust. Uh, if you did anywhere up to grade 8 or 10 science, you'll understand that ash or, or decomposition, you're still ending up in the same place. But the purpose for the body is to return to the earth, not the mantelpiece. That's something to be considered here. Not to be carried around in hope of, in holding on to the dead, but planted in hope of the resurrection. And so we see that picture right throughout Scripture. But catch the, the Spirit. In 12, verse 12, the dust will return to the earth as it was, and the Spirit shall return unto God who gave it. That at, at death, the Spirit returns unto God who gave it. It is appointed man, it is appointed on man once to die. And after this, the judgment. Paul said to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord for a Christian's sake. Your spirit, 
as a saved person, immediately enters into the presence of the Lord. Your spirit as a, someone's spirit as a lost person, returns to God who gave it, to the charge of God who gave it, to the care of God who gave it. The spirits of those in hell are not in the devil's care. They're not, they're not in the devil's hands. They have gone to God who gave it. That doesn't mean heaven. That doesn't mean paradise. That doesn't mean purgatory. That means hell as is laid out quite plainly in the, in the Gospels with the rich man of Lazarus. But bring back to the disciples' understanding as Jesus says to them, I go to prepare a place for you and if I go to prepare a place for you, I shall come again and receive you unto myself. Well, here he is talking to those disciples that are alive with their understanding of the scriptures. They already had the anticipation that God's people upon death entered into the presence of the Lord. A place called Abraham's bosom in the Old Testament. So what was the hope, that the blessed hope that was being taught to them? That Christ was coming back for them bodily. For those men right there, he said, I go, and if I go, I will come back. And when I come back, I come back to receive you. It's not necessarily just a thing he's speaking of about after death. I want you to step by step through what, what, what the Lord is teaching here. Go with me then to Acts. And we'll go to the ascension. Acts chapter 1, verse 9. We see then these things start to take place. We could spend time on the death, you know, the Lord's death, His burial, His resurrection. I'd encourage you to look at those things in the light of prophecy, the fulfillment of prophecy, uh, and all of that the Lord spoke to these disciples about. But Acts chapter 1, verse 9 is where we're going to jump to. And His just finished speaking to the disciples and speaking to them of the Comforter that will come, the Holy Ghost. And when he had spoken these things in verse 9, while they beheld, here's the disciples, here's the men that he just said to them, I go to prepare a place for you. And he says this. The Bible says this. When he had spoken these things, while they beheld, here they are looking at Christ, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. Here they are talking with Jesus. Jesus is speaking with them. And when he's finished, he doesn't say, well, I'll see you later and walk out the door and get on his donkey and ride over the hill. But rather, he finishes his message to them and is caught up in their very presence. You can't spiritualize this. You can't do anything with this other than accept the, the, the plain truth of the Scriptures because verse 10 says, while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up. I mean, you do it at the airport. Someone you love is getting on a plane and they're flying off and, and you, there, you checked your baggage, you've done everything else, you've watched them board. I mean, I've dropped plenty of people at the airport and I don't care to see them go. I just drop them and go. But I'm 
going to drop my children at the airport for my older girls have got a trip coming up and, and they're going to be gone for a long time and, and I anticipate that as I watch them go I'm going to watch the, the plane taxi out onto the runway and, and then I'm going to stand there gazing up into the heavens as they depart out of sight and are received up into the clouds in that aeroplane that's what happened here without an aeroplane here they are, and here's Jesus bodily ascending into heaven. And as they stand there gazing, looking steadfastly up, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, You men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place. If I go to prepare a place, I'll come again. They knew he was going to come again. Now, as they've seen him go, a couple of fellows standing there in white apparel, alluding to the point that they were angels, said to them, now we're going to tell you how he's coming back. Because you've just seen him ascend like this. And let me tell you, as you've seen him ascend in like manner, he shall so come again. So as you walk through this, looking for this promise of the, of the Lord's return and why is, what, what's the purpose of this return? For the receiving of the church of the disciples of those that were called Christians at Antioch he's going to so come in like that uh, and for, for the sake of it to just give you the, the end in that sense if you jump right right forward through to, to Revelation 19 uh, you will see a description of the return of Christ and he, he comes and he comes on a white horse and he comes with, with a sword proceeding out of his mouth and he comes with a vesture dipped in blood and he comes with 10,000 of his saints that Enoch spoke of and it's different to this manner in which he comes. Revelation 19 isn't the same manner as Acts chapter 1. It's a different manner. The only manner that's the same is it is the same Christ. And it is a physical return of Christ. In that manner it's the same, but many other things are different. The disciples were told to look for this manner that was spoke that they saw in Acts chapter 1 verse 9. With that, go to First Thessalonians. It's the next place. Well, we, we've got to... Well, let's just work. First Thessalonians. Oh, I was going to change it all around. First Thessalonians. First Thessalonians. Let's, let's do this. First Thessalonians 4. And we'll pick up the reading in verse 13. First Thessalonians 4 and verse 13. And the purpose of this passage, and this is important that we understand the purpose for which a passage is written. The purpose of this passage is this. I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. The main purpose of this passage is to deal with those that have passed away, that sleep in Christ. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so also them which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you, 
by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain under the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, and the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Now here's something interesting. I got saved. I got given eternal life that I might never die. The only part of me that is ever going to die is this flesh. Because in Christ, I have life eternal. And for me to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord and, and entering into that fellowship with Him. But my body will die and go to dust and my spirit to God who gave it. That's the testimony of someone who is saved, those that are dead in Christ. So when we come to this passage here that says the dead in Christ shall rise first, the only thing that somebody in Christ has that can be dead is their body. Nothing else dies. My spirit doesn't die. My soul doesn't die. So what's, going to, what's Christ going to raise up? The only thing that is left to raise up, which is the body that is dead and in the grave. You can't read these scriptures and go, oh, this is, a, this is just a spiritualization and it's, though it's our spirits being caught up from some place of soul sleep. That's not what this is referring to. It's referring to your bodies being in the grave and being caught up on that day of resurrection, being, being uh, raised from the dead, following Christ in that. But catch this, the dead in Christ shall rise first, then we which are alive and remain shall be, what did you say, Mark? Caught up. Together with them in the clouds, to meet the Lord in the air, so shall we ever be with the Lord. I want you to see verse 17. We which are alive and remain shall be caught up together. Jesus was taken up. We shall be caught up. Taken up, caught up, together with them in the clouds. Just go back to Acts chapter 1. Keep your place in both places. Acts chapter 1, verse 9. He was... Taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. The Bible says, A cloud received him out of their sight. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds. Here we are, the dead in Christ have been raised and are in the clouds, bodily resurrection of those dead in Christ. And we that are alive and remain shall be caught up together into the clouds, to be with them in the clouds. We catch this, to meet the Lord in the air. So who else is in the clouds? The Lord. To meet the Lord in the air. That word air, that's, a, that's an atmospheric word. That's a, that's a word of creation. That's a word of this earth. It's not to be with the Lord in heaven. It's not meeting Him in the throne of God. It's to meet him in the air, in the atmosphere, where the clouds are, where the birds are flying, 
tell you one thing we know about the return of Christ, it's not going to be a clear blue sky. It's going to be a day where perhaps there's some puffy white clouds just breezing across that blue sky. Because that's what we get received up in. Into the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Don't make it say something it doesn't say. It doesn't say we will be in the clouds forever. It says we will be with the Lord forever. And attaching to other promises that there where I am will ye be also. That we will be ever in the presence of the Lord. I want you to see the rapture right there. What does the word rapture mean? It's, it's a word that simply means caught up. That you'll be caught up. If you're alive, if you're dead, your body is going to be resurrected from the grave on that day. My dad's planted under a, under a, uh, under a gum tree down in, down in uh, Wondi. And one day, he's going to bust on out of that grave. And be caught up in the air. And I'll either be busted up out of the grave that I'm buried in and standing beside him in the clouds, or I'll be caught up after him to meet him in the clouds with our Saviour. First uh, Thessalonians 4 paints a picture that is in like manner as Acts chapter 1. Here's Jesus in Acts chapter 1, taken up into the clouds... And here's 1 Thessalonians 4 painting exactly the same picture about the return of Christ. In the clouds, us caught up to him there in the presence of the Lord. But catch further what it says here. At the coming of the Lord, the Lord will descend from heaven with a shout in verse 15. The Lord will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God. Here, when the Lord comes back, He descends from heaven and He descends with these three things, with a shout. You, you don't see the Lord shouting in Revelation 19. You see the sword proceeding out of His mouth, but you don't see the shout. You, see, you, don't, you don't see the, the trump of God, but you do see an angel cry out to the fowls of the heavens, to come and feast on the dead bones of kings. I just want you to see the contrast, the difference. We want to be careful not to attach a coming prophecy to the wrong promise. The promise was in like manner. Lastly, the said this morning, Revelations chapter 4, Revelation 4, verse, verse 1. As we said, you see the church in Revelation 1, 2, and 3. You see John in there with Christ, and Christ is in the midst of the church, and, and John is speaking with him, and, and these letters to the seven churches are there amongst the candlesticks and the, the, the seven stars, and, and all of that picture and that, that vision of, of the church and that, that time of the church. But in chapter 4, verse 1, after this I looked, and behold, the door was opened in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was, as it were, of a trump talking with me. Which said, 
come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. And I was immediately in the spirit, behold, there was a throne set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. In Revelation 4, I wouldn't want to make this my key verse as to why I look for a rapture, a catching up. But you do see the same language of, here's a trump, or a voice says of a trump. Here's a, a catching up of John. And here's a heavenly place that is the rest of the vision of Revelation for the remaining of those chapters. For the sake of time, I'll have to pause there and come back to it. I was pretty sure I would get through what I needed to. We're looking at the rapture of the church. All I've really, all we've really covered right now is the coming rapture. We've attached it lightly to the church. We've touched on a couple of passages that you might be able to see that it's coming before the tribulation, but really all we've looked at is that there is a bodily rapture coming for those that are Christ's, both dead and alive. And that's not something every tradition of Christianity believes in. But I will put, you to, I'll put it to you this morning that it is very clearly what the Scriptures teach. That you need to be looking for that bodily resurrection from the grave and that bodily catching up in the clouds for those that are alive and remain. And as we work through this, we'll see it is very clearly just for the church and we will see very clearly that its timing is before the tribulation, but we haven't really touched on that much this morning. Let's close with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I do thank you. I pray you'd help us, Lord, as we continue to study the Scriptures and, and work through these, these things. My Lord, I, I desperately need your help. But Lord, I pray that as we, as we do and as we learn, that you'd help us that we might study the Scriptures to see if these things be so and spend our time with you in your Word. In Jesus' name we pray, we thank you and glorify you. Amen.